Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. I'm pleased to welcome Dean Del Vecchio to the broadcast today. Dean is the Executive Vice President, Chief Information Officer, and Chief of Operations at Guardian Life, a roughly 160-year-old mutual company with roughly $10.5 billion in annual revenue. He's held that role for roughly two and a half years and leads a team of about 4,500 employees. He had previously been the EVP, CIO, and head of enterprise shared services of the company. In his previous roles, uh, those have included chief information officer and global head of IT services at News Corp and CIO of Dow Jones. But first, a word from our sponsor, QuickBase, and the company's chief executive officer, Ed Jennings. QuickBase is a low-code application development platform focused on citizen automation, and Ed wanted to share how the company helps organizations democratize automation. Ed, over to you. At QuickBase, our mission is to unlock the potential of organizations to adapt and innovate at speed. We do this by empowering business technologists within organizations to leverage low-code, no-code, to visually build their own applications, click and drag, integrate across their existing systems, and eliminate manual and clumsy processes by writing their own workflow automations. As we see more technology responsibilities shifting to the business, Here are the top three ways that CIOs can unlock the potential of their own businesses to adapt and innovate faster. One, empower a culture of innovation where every member of the team feels responsible for building and innovating digital solutions. Two, build a practice of citizen automation in your company, build out governance frameworks and communities of practice. And three, equip the team with the right citizen automation tools. My name is Ed Jennings and I'm the CEO of QuickBase. I look forward to sharing how we've helped over 5,000 enterprises mature their citizen automation programs. And now on to the interview. Uh, Dean, welcome. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's no, a pleasure. Well, Dean, let, let's. I, I mentioned uh, your current dual set of responsibilities, both as CIO as well as Chief of Operations. Maybe take a quick moment, if you would, and talk a bit about the two sides of your set of responsibilities. What do they entail? Sure. Great. So on the CIO side, fairly traditional from a technology perspective responsible for infrastructure, development, operations, managing all of the technology, both uh, from an infrastructure and software perspective. On the, on the chief of operations side, it's quite a unique complement of uh, responsibilities. So it's real estate, it's facilities, it's you know, HR operations, it's benefit operations, it's physical security, it's operations of new, new business, onboarding of new business, it's customer service. And then we have a fairly large captive in the operations of about 2,000 some odd people in two locations that provide any, you know, the traditional business process outsourcing functions as well as the technology outsourcing functions. Split fairly 50-50 between the two uh, responsibilities there as well. And it's interesting, as you mentioned, uh, real estate is part of your uh, set of responsibilities. And I can only imagine that you're thinking quite a bit about that as you contemplate uh, the future of work. Um, I believe you've got a guardian on the go strategy, which I'd love to have you articulate a little bit. And if you right. wouldn't mind translating that into how you're thinking about where work is done and why, I'd be interested in your perspectives, please. No, absolutely. So the guardian on the go program, actually, fortunately for us, you know, Superstorm Sandy really set the stage for us. Uh, when I first joined Guardian, the prior CEO, Deanna Mulligan, actually really felt strongly about preparing us for another event like that and, and to make sure that the company was well prepared. So we really took a, a very focused approach on our infrastructure, on our capabilities for remote work capabilities and put in place a, a robust strategy that really allowed all of our employees at any given point uh, to be able to work from home, re- work remotely. 
And we formalized that more importantly around what we called Guardian on the Go, which we really had a program that said you could work, you know, one day a week uh, remotely or you could work full time remotely. And it allowed flexibility and we leveraged the technology to allow people to do that. So when, you know, unfortunately, when COVID hit, it was really a non-event for us for the most part. You know, we made a decision on March 10th to send everybody home. And in preparation since Superstorm Sandy, we made sure everybody had a laptop. We didn't have desktops. Everybody had mobile capability. And we had the infrastructure, the VPN infrastructure to support, you know, 10,000 plus uh, of our employees. So it really was a matter of just reminding people, take home your power cord, you know, take home your laptop and some of the basic essentials. And, you know, we really haven't been back in the office up until recently. Uh, so it was, again, a lot of effort, a lot of preparedness uh, on a lot of people's parts, but um, it allowed us to really exercise those muscles in full force uh, when COVID hit. It's very interesting. And what are you, and I realize that these plans are probably still in process. As you think about the future, where, where do you see uh, work being done? Is, is Will it be sort of akin to what you described before? Will the, the, yeah. all that you learned from, from Superstorm Sandy and all that you put in place essentially yeah. just continue um, even after the point at which it's safe for more people to make their way into offices? Yeah, absolutely. I think what COVID did now actually was really accelerate the adoption of the technology. So even though we had people working from home and we we're using the technology, you know, it was tough getting people to put their video on. It was tough, you know, getting people to share, you know, screens and documents and all of that. But now it's become second nature. And I think a lot of companies are finding that, 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 you know, the technology, the people have caught up to the technology now. So the adoption of it has really come full, full circle and it's no longer a push. It's, it's now a pull, right? They're asking for more technology and more capabilities uh, to make their lives easier on a daily basis. So I think we're going to be in this hybrid model. I, I think we're going to continue to be in a hybrid model. Uh, you know, Guardian embarked on a real estate portfolio redesign or reimagination a, a few years ago. So most of our locations already have been modernized with, you know, the dynamic workplaces and, and open space planning and all of those things. Now, I think the challenge for most companies is going to be is how do you how do you incorporate that into a much more inclusive hybrid model? And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're all remote today, we're all on the same playing field. We're all one of those chicklets on the box and, you know, on the screen, and we all have the same airtime. Now, when we go back into this hybrid environment, just like pre-COVID, it was a challenge when you had five people in a room having a conversation and the remaining of the participants in that meeting remotely on, you know, on, on a single screen or multiple single screens to, to get the same amount of airtime, get the same amount of engagement. And that's one of the things we're really trying to focus on to make sure we figure out how do we keep that kind of level playing field for the people who are in the office when they need to be and, and people who are remote at the same time. So that's an area that we're still focusing on. But to answer your question specifically, it's, I think it's going to be a hybrid model uh, going forward. Yeah, as a, as a lot of organizations anticipate as well. Yeah. Well, hey, I wanted to also ask you about, I know from our past conversations that um, yours is a culture that really helps drive the innovation of the, uh, of the organization more generally speaking. And I, I wonder if you can kind of uh, identify some of the the key cultural attributes that that you you all take pride in that you believe are differentiating. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question, and, and so when we embarked on innovation at Guardian, we, we wanted to make it so it wasn't a single function or a single group that was responsible for innovation. You know, you hear about innovation labs, and not that there's anything that doesn't work in those. Uh, there's there's appropriate times and there's appropriate you know opportunities, but we made it much more broad. So we said everybody in the organization can participate in innovation. And that's our employees, it's our partners, it's our strategic partners. 
So we've actually embarked on what we call innovation challenges. And we, when we look at innovation in three kind of simple categories. So one is just core innovation. It's, it's anything somebody does today. If they think about a better way, a quicker way, faster, or more, more um, simple uh, way to perform their task, that could be innovative, could be innovation. We, we look at it as adjacent innovation. If there's somebody else doing something out there, it doesn't have to be in our industry or in our segment or market, or if somebody's doing something really interesting and differently than we are today, let's, let's copy it, right? No shame. Uh, and then there's the transformational innovation. Those are those big ideas. It's really rethinking about maybe a market segment. It could be rethinking about how we do work entirely. Uh, you know, we've been quite innovative in the way we thought about operating in the cloud, for example. We've been operating in the cloud since 2018. You know, we shut down our data center in 2018, so we no longer have an owned operating data center, right? We, we said, let's look at the things that we can do to be more effective and more efficient. And managing a data center is not going to give us a you know, competitive advantage, but having people focusing on improving you know, consumer experience, improving the products that we have and improving the way we deliver those products, you know, that's where I want our employees focused. Uh, so, so we've made some conservative efforts there and we do innovation challenges where we'll put out a challenge question and we have employees opine on it. We have employees vote on it. We have them do pairwise comparisons on those things. And then the good ideas that bubble up, we actually do a shark tank experience. And we have people, you know, put forth their idea, present it to a, you know, a group of people and, you know, we vote and we, we, you know, challenge questions. And then if it gets thumbs up, we move it forward to an, a minimum viable product. That's fantastic. Well, as you, as you speak of culture, obviously, uh, it, it is the, the, what, what bonds the people of your organization together. And, and right now, as has been the case, that was the case pre-COVID, and it was perhaps maybe just a little bit of a blip uh, during the portion of COVID, but the, the need to find good people is acute. And I know you've had some really creative ideas about ways in which you can develop talent inside the organization. Can you talk a bit about your Code for Good and Automation for Good uh, programs, please? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we've taken a really big focus on you know reskilling upskilling reskilling however you want to describe it but we've really focused on our employees and saying here's where we're going as an organization here's the things that are important to us like moving to the cloud early on that was very important to us so we made sure we put programs in place for our employees to be able to get skilled be able to take the opportunity to say do they want to participate in where we're going and then give them all the tools capability time coaching and support to do that and then when you think about, you know, even the operational side of the house, you know, there's, there's functions as everybody's looking at and like, you know, mentioned earlier, the adoption of technology. I think one of those is just basic automation, you know, robotic process automation, for example. And so there's, there are functions that are, you know, just day in, day out functions that make sense to automate. So can we have our employees participate in that? And, and can they participate in one from, from a development perspective? So the program you mentioned, Code for Good, we're looking at taking people that are in non-traditional technology roles become developers. And we've actually, we're on our second cohort now. We had the first one very successful. We had you know, a handful of individuals go through that. Uh, it's a six-month kind of boot camp programming uh, you know, learning, and then they're out on, out on the floor. And we, and we make sure that there's a job for them and, and that they have an opportunity to participate in that. So now what I'm trying to, we're kicking off and you mentioned it, we're, we're, we're trying to create a program around automation for good. And it's, it's just basic automation capabilities on, you know, again, those high transactional type functions that quite honestly, you know, employees could be adding much more value and dealing with much more complex issues if they had the time, but because they're dealing with all these transactional things. So why not allow them to be able to self-automate and identify those tasks that they, they wish they didn't have to do in the first place 
and then create a much more fulfilling job for themselves. So we're so we're looking at ways across the board, whether it's technology upskilling, you know, if you are a mainframe developer to a cloud, or whether you are a non-technology person and utilizing the tools and capabilities now to automate some of the functions you do today, for example. Yeah, so interesting. And it, it really deals in some ways with the conundrum of certain kinds of uh, responsibilities perhaps going away because of that very automation, for instance, exactly. and finding new opportunities for, for the people who've done good work in those areas in, in, in jobs that are going to be less in demand in the future and, and investing in them so that they can be part of the, the skills of the future. That's a Exactly. And, and who, would know, who would know best than the individuals performing those functions on a day-in, day-out basis? Well said. Very well said. I know another area that you and your team have been focused on is differentiating customer experience and developing the kinds of tools to be able to do that. I wonder if you could uh, share a bit about uh, some of the methods that you're using to to create that differentiation. Sure, and that's and that's an area that I you know the way I describe it is is we're not dealing with you know competing with our competitors in the insurance and the financial institution. We're dealing with an individual's last digital experience. You know, so I say, you know, probably at some point during the day, you know, you were on, especially this time of time of year with, with, um, you know, Amazon, for example, you know, their prime week and so on, or you were, you know, when you're home, you're on Netflix or you're on Apple TV, you know, those experiences are very simple. They're very predictable. They recommend what you probably should watch next or purchase next, but they're just very proactive. And we should be just as proactive when it comes to servicing our, our policyholders or our plan holders, you know, an individual looking for a claim status, or they're looking to make a beneficiary change, or they're, they're wondering where their claim payment is, right? We should be able to provide technologies and capabilities to kind of what I, you know, just like you think in technology shift left when you do development, you know, shift all those capabilities. How do you shift left so the consumer can self-service when they want, where they want, how they want? And if they do want to call us, absolutely, we'll be there to take that call. But how do we make it easier for them to do business with us? And that's not just from the end consumer, but also our constituents, you know, our, our, our providers, our stakeholders, the individuals that maybe sell our products or the brokers or the, you know, the agencies. So we're really looking at the end-to-end kind of supply chain or life cycle of an experience and saying, where can we digitize? Where can we make it self-service? Where can we automate it and make it proactive and predictive? And we're doing that in ways of, you know, a digital agent, for example, right? We've installed using AI and automation, um, you know, the digital agent capability. So you could chat with a digital agent and get claim status or get eligibility of benefits, for example. So we're looking at each aspect of the relationship and the journey, whether it's the initial onboarding piece, can we help people with decision tools to help them, you know, select the right products? And then ultimately, when they actually are on board and, they're, and they're, they, they need services, can we provide them with all of those avenues? If they want to you know, do a chatbot, we can do that through their phone. If they want to you know, go to the web, they can do that. If they want a mobile app, we'll provide that capability. So we're not there yet, but that's how we're looking at it. And we're looking at it across all medium and as well as all uh, you know, segments of that lifecycle engagement. It's interesting across this conversation to, to hear about how innovative the company is and how progressive it is in its thinking and its evolution. I mentioned at the outset uh, that this is a company that's been around for more than a century and a half. And I can only imagine that like any company that's even been around for a tenth of that amount of time, um, that there's legacy that builds up, there's modernization that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, you've been in role for eight years. So, you, so you are, you've been in an executive role at the company, I should say, uh, for eight years now. And I wonder if you can just reflect upon that period of time and some of the changes perhaps that you made in the early or, or midpoints of your 
your time uh, with Guardian Life that had that that set up the organization to be able to take advantage of some of what you've described today. Easier said than done, and I got to imagine there was a lot of kind of yeah, hard work, yeah. foundational work that was done by you, the the team, and you have, have uh, put in place. Yes, absolutely. So, so we took a very, I would say, pragmatic approach to it in, in two ways. First, we looked at all of the infrastructure, and we said the first one to three years we focused on kind of the foundational uh, capabilities and modernizing that technology. So that was, you know, the, the traditional data center technology, the network, you know, all of that architecture, uh, you know, connecting our locations, our sites, our consumers. And we revamped and modernized a lot of that. And as I said earlier, you know, we got to the point where we said, okay, we're no longer going to be in the data center business and we're going to, you know, move to the cloud on, on things that we could and made a lot of sense to move to the cloud. As you mentioned, we're a 160-year-old company and we have legacy platforms like most insurance companies. So our policy administration system, you know, I joke about it, but it, you know, it was a, it was built before we put a man on the moon. And you know, I and I also joke, I say, you know, the good news is it's still running, and the bad news is it's still running. Um, but so that's a system that we've, you know, we've kind of now we're looking at how do we modernize that. So we went through infrastructure first, then we went through the applications that can run in the cloud, and now over the next few years we're focusing on those monolithic platforms, the claims engines, the policy admin systems. And we have two major programs going on, one on the group side of the house, so you're servicing our group businesses and products, and the one on the individual market side of the house. And we're doing major platform modernization. And the way we describe it is, you know, I'd like to get rid of a decade of technology every three years, because we have multiple decades of technology, uh, as you can imagine, being a 160-year-old insurance company, and it, and it doesn't, you know, go away overnight. So, and, you know, I'd be remiss if I don't, I didn't, you know, mention that the team we have here is an incredible team. Um, you know, we've been at this for, like you said, you know, since the day I got here just a little under eight years ago, we put a very focused modernization plan in place and we've been, you know, marching forward and making, you know, great progress to do that. And, and it's, it's with a lot of people's, you know, effort and work and, and dedication and commitment to uh, keep this going. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I mentioned also in the intro that you've had a number of what I refer to as CIO plus roles. So while you're you, at Dow Jones, you were quote unquote, just the CIO. At News Corp, you added uh, IT services to your responsibilities. Upon uh, joining Guardian Life, you were the CIO and enterprise shared services head. Correct. You are now, as I mentioned, as we, we spoke about at the outset, the CIO and the chief of operations. Talk a bit about the rationale in the additional set of responsibilities that you have had now across multiple organizations for for uh, more than a decade, and um, the what that says to you about the good work done in IT translating into some other areas. Yeah, it's a good question, and and it, and it really started at when I was at Dow Jones. They made me in addition to the CIO. That's the first opportunity I had to run real estate and become their chief administration officer. So I had real estate sourcing facilities and, and a bunch of other things as well. And that's when I started seeing the real uh, connection between real estate and technology. And fortunately, you know, where we are today, when you think about it, the, the whole workforce of the future and workplace of the future, it goes hand in hand, right? You, you can't think about implementing a new workplace without thinking about the technology, the enabling technology. How do you, how do, you do remote? How do you do hybrid? Technology is going to be at the center of all of that, right? How do you do scheduling? How do you do predictive scheduling? How do you leverage AI tools to help you know maybe I should be in one location versus another because of where the rest of the people are going to be or the type of work that needs to be done? I think you're going to see technology being in integrated into 
your daily much more than it has been or already is. Um, so I thought I think there's a natural connection there. And when you think about most things today um, that you're doing in every in operations, for example, the automation or the capabilities of leveraging automation in operations on the business operations functions, you know, having the ability to, you know, pull those two things together and accelerate it. I joked around when I was at Dow Jones, uh, there used to be a lot of debate between the operations team and the technology team about what to automate, when to automate. And then when I became responsible for it, it made those decisions very easy. Uh, you know, I said the person I'd be arguing with is myself in the mirror and many times, and, you know, and I normally win the argument. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, all kidding aside, I, I just see more and more of that connection, more and more of the dependency and enablement, more of an enablement than dependency uh, that technology can have on the business functions. So having that, the, the perspective and having the teams that close together, more importantly, uh, all going in the same direction, understanding the benefits and, and supporting each other and, and learning from each other. Uh, being part of the same team, I just think has helped accelerate and given us the opportunity to accelerate some of our activities here. That's great. It's very interesting how you've you've cultivated this sort of shared services mindset and a broader set of responsibilities that could be driven with technology and digital. Um, really, really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. Dean, there's a lot of uh, dynamism in your industry and a lot of uh, startups and you know insure tech organizations that have sprung up. Uh, and a lot of innovation, generally speaking, including innovation, of course, that you're driving as a company, as you pointed out with some of the methods that you're using. How do you think about uh, that broader ecosystem and curating it uh, towards a bigger advantage for your company? Yeah, we, we're actually quite engaged in, in that community. So, And we engage in it in, in multiple ways. So for, for, for one case, we, we actually invest in the startup communities. We have a a venture fund where we invest in uh, individual startup communities and in then tech, infotech, and fintech. And we do that for a couple of different reasons. One is, you know, we want to invest in companies, obviously, that we're going to hopefully get a good return on. But more importantly, we're investing in companies where we think we could learn from the individuals that are, that are embarking in our space, or maybe even not even in our space, but we could look at opportunities to take advantage of their technology. And then three, we're getting access to individuals and their thinking and how they go about um, you know, developing new technologies or, or, you know, get the startup mentality and get the startup juices flowing. And one of the things that enables us to do that is, is like I said, you know, is, is the investment piece. But we also are a partnership of the partnership in New York City where they bring in startups and we, we mentor and we sponsor each year. We sponsor one to two startups in the insure tech and uh, infotech and fintech uh, arenas. So, so we try to do it in a couple of different ways. And then lastly, we look for if there's opportunities to do co-development with them. So we have quite a few things going on right now where we're working with an individual and short tech companies doing co-development uh, projects. And it could be in underwriting, it could be in customer facing opportunities, it could be in you know, scanning uh, x-rays, for example. So all across the board, but we're very active with the uh, startup community. I wanted to also ask you, as you look to the future, Dean, what are some trends that particularly excite you? Areas that you're that are making their way onto your roadmap that you think will be uh, particularly meaningful as you contemplate the journey ahead? Sure. So I think that you know, just data in general. You know, we've done a lot of efforts here over the last couple of years, building the framework. Just like I mentioned about, you know, we focused on infrastructure, then applications. Now we're doing the monolithic platforms. During that period too, we said data is going to be at the center of everything. So we built a very robust data lake and, and you know, allowed, we're at the point now where we're getting value out of it, right? So I think everybody embarked on trying to figure out, you know, 
what to do with data. You know, first there was data warehouses, now there's data lakes, and now you're hearing about lake houses, right? You know, so it's it's, it's taking it to the next the next phase. But the most important thing is, are you getting value at it? Is the business able to take that information, use it in a way they haven't used it in the past, and derive outcomes? And the outcome could be a better customer experience. The outcome can be you know, reduce pricing, you know, it could be new product development because of the new information you have. So that's one that's really exciting me now is that we're finally, you know, I think as a, as a industry, we're seeing better use and better uh, value coming out of these data efforts and initiatives. The other is then underlying that is I think automation AI uh, doesn't exist without good sound data behind it. So I think that's enabling now these tools and the capabilities of using, you know, the intelligent automation and some of the, uh, the other capabilities in which we're trying to automate things is benefiting from that as well. So I think AI, when you think about AI, when we talk about AI, there's kind of, you know, intelligent automation, there's smart automation, there's, you know, machine learning. I think we're finally at the phase now where people are really deriving benefit out of that as well. And, and the adoption of it is, is accelerating. So that's exciting me that we're, we're, at the, we're hitting that kind of tipping point now where again, it's not, you're not trying to push it, it's being pulled and people are now asking for it and wanting more of it. Uh, so I think, and again, I think that's where the, the people are catching up with the technology there as well. So I'm excited about those things. I, I still think the uh, digital experience and customer experience for us is in very early stages. I think there's so much more we're gonna benefit from that as an industry. Uh, and we're, we're, we're getting to the point now where I, we're starting to see value there as well. Excellent. Well, Dean Del Vecchio, thank you so much for joining me today, sharing a bit about your experience at, uh, uh, both at Guardian Life, but also beyond your, your very interesting dual set of responsibilities that, uh, if anything, add to a, a broader set of dual uh, responsibilities that you've had across multiple organizations, the ways in which you've led through some really trying times, the quote unquote advantages of pr prior uh, difficulties, uh, ensuring the organization was was better prepared than otherwise would have been perhaps uh, for all that's befallen the organization and the, and the, the country and the world over the past year. Uh, it's been a really great conversation. No, thank you. Enjoyed the time with you. McDonald's is really passionate about driving the customer value. And to drive the customer value, he needed to understand who that customer is and what are the, you know, the buying patterns for that customer, what are the needs for that customer, right? Then he can actually help tailor through the personalization or to be able to tailor to the loyalty programs that, you know, we've been able to put together. You know, we have a program called Speed Perks as a loyalty program to be able to understand what they're spend with us. And then how we can really support them, you know, for their, you know, needs as a go forward. And, you know, obviously, you know, other new things that are really coming up in terms of uh, understanding the demographics of our, you know, the customers across the, the U.S. and also the regional in nature to, you know, see what, what you know, the specific vehicles are there and the, the miles driven of those vehicles. That way we can actually get the right part into, into those right uh, distribution centers and the right, you know, the, our uh, stores to be able to really be, uh, support the customer. And then lastly, on a pricing, uh, pricing competitiveness uh, is something that we've been working on in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that as the inflation, you know, grows and how do we really you know, price right to the our, our customers to drive the value and at the same time to 
improve the uh, operating margins for you know our company. So you know we're at the beginning stages at this point, uh, Peter, but we're really leveraging that data as an asset at this point. Really, truly build this you know the personalization and the differentiation that our you know the uh, chief marketing officer is driving. That's a fantastic overview. Um, I wanted to, here at the close of our conversation, Sri, ask you if there are any other trends that particularly excite you as you look to the future. A number of them, including in your most recent answer, uh, are particularly uh, important, uh, not only at advanced auto parts, but across so many organizations. A any others that come to mind in terms of areas of emphasis or focus of your team? Yeah, you know, I mean, the ones that I mentioned, going deeper is definitely one of the priorities for us. So, you know, we're in a very, very early stages of, uh, you know, AI and ML. You know, it's something that you know, we're actually trying to build a practice uh, of AI with the data science. You know, we uh, have a number of data science, you know, the, the team members, uh, you know, inside of our marketing team, really focused uh, on understanding that, you know, the customer and building models uh, to, you know, uh, drive that customer value on that. And there is a team, you know, our merchandising team that is truly focused on understanding the entire uh, item uh, and the item master and the demand is a demand forecast that comes in to be able to really support and adding a new SKUs, you know, as the, the customer needs on this, right? So AI ML is uh, going to be continued focus on this. And is uh, another one that, you know, RPA is the, uh, is the second one that we're really looking at. Uh, it's not a new trend, but it's a trend that, you know, we are really focused on given we are building a lot of common platforms at this point. So now I can really apply more of a RPA as a capabilities to drive this hyper automation uh, that is uh, really needed. And the third one is the IoT. Uh, is something that you know we're uh, closely monitoring, uh, Peter. Given that we have uh, some of the uh, uh, high value and high velocity products that are distributed in you know 4,600 plus locations uh, across the U.S., and how do we really leverage IoT to be able to truly see the movement of those products? That way, we can build a much better demand you know, the accuracy, you know, from a forecast standpoint, that way we can drive the better supply to be able to support our stores and the and the team members uh, on this. Uh, I mean, that's what I, I would, you know, say the, the some of the trends that, you know, we're really looking at, you know, also the blockchain, you know, is also out there, you know, given that, you know, we are a, a sort of supply chain company, uh, you know, the complexities that exist uh, within the uh, supply chain were, you know, looking to really uh, leverage some of the blockchain capabilities to see how we simplify our operation. Well, a great, uh, great overview, Sri, and an exciting vision for the future from across this, uh, this conversation, the many things that you and your team are working on have already accomplished, but also uh, of the, the aspects of it that, yet to that are yet to come. I uh, really appreciate you taking time and providing an overview of of your areas of focus and some of your exciting view of the future and what it what it holds for you and for your, your customers as well. Uh, it's been a great conversation, Sri. Uh, thank you, uh, Peter. It's been my pleasure. And then I always learn every interaction that I have with you. So uh, thank you so much for your partnership. Thank you so much. You're kind to say that.
introduce the car that's behind you right now. I know that it's one of your favorites from among the Stellantis portfolio. So in 1998, I became an employee of Chrysler, Chrysler Corporation right before Chrysler merged with Daimler. So one of the first town halls that I attended, um, our CEO back then was Jim Holden. He came to the town hall in a red uh, wiper. And I told myself that one day I would own that wiper that he came in. <laughs> I don't know if I have the exact car. I don't think I have the exact car. Uh, but I have a 1998 second generation Dodge Viper um, and uh, GTS. And it's one of my favorite cars that I love driving. And the engineers have done such a beautiful job. Um, it's, um, it's a Viper. And when you sit in the car and you uh, accelerate it, you can hear the hissing noise of a snake. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. <laughs> well, I can, I can tell from this and even a, a past conversation with you, the, Mamtha, that uh, the auto industry is really in your in your blood. You 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 love cars and you love uh, you know advances in cars. In, in addition to some nostalgia, clearly, given the 1998 car that you uh, you also enjoy driving. But um, Mamtha Shamarthi, thank you so much for for a really insightful, deeply insightful uh, conversation about the future of Stellantis, uh, and more generally speaking, the future of driving and some of the remarkable innovations that you and your team are working on. I appreciate you also shedding some light on your own career journey, uh, your perspectives uh, about the pathways to leadership for people, generally speaking, uh, women more specifically as well. As I say, it's been a great conversation and an honor to include you uh, uh, in, our, in our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter.